Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and this week I'm joined by both of my co-hosts. Hi, I'm Hoi Chen Bu, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York, and here is the long-awaited return of our <laughs> Anya. Hello, I'm Anya Crittenton. I'm back. I'm a writer and editor in Los Angeles. I, um, I've i had some personal things to deal with, so I kind of took a step back from the podcast for a little while to refocus and reprioritize a bit. Um, but now I'm back, and I'm so happy because I've missed you're all back. of you, and I've missed my co-host so we much. We missed you, too. I'm so happy They're you're back. They're some of the best people in the world, you guys. I Aww. love these people. Um, so I'm back, and... With it, I'm bringing a bit a dose of uh, reality hey. to this episode. Um, because this week we are talking about Netflix's reality shows, which have taken the internet by storm. Especially recently, they've really been causing some pretty big waves. Um, and primarily with their dating and their sort of social reality shows. Because they started out with things like Queer Eye, Nailed It which are all very wholesome and fun and... And also reboots, too. Cause, right, um, yeah, reboots. Well, Wait, is Nailed Queer It a reboot? Queer Eye is, re- is a reboot. I don't think Nailed It is, but they do have different versions um, in... I think it might have started in Mexico, actually. So okay, maybe. gotcha. And yeah. I, we've, had, like, we've had, like, Worst Cooks in America before, so it's, mm-hmm. like, not a new concept mm-hmm. to right. do, like, people who are bad at being in the kitchen. But they started out, you know, kind of very, like... Um, you know, like inoffensive, wholesome, endearing. Um, you know, a lot of Americans watched Great British Bake Off on Netflix. Um, and Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo, yeah. And so it's kind of started off that way. And Queer Eye especially kind of made a lot of fans. And like the new Fab Five are very famous, very popular, very beloved. But things have taken a turn with Netflix's reality lately. Primarily with two shows, The Circle and Love is Blind, which is where they first gotten into kind of the the dating, relationship, social aspect of reality shows. Not many people watched their first dating show. What was um, that? Dating, it was called Dating Around, I think. Oh, oh didn't see that one at yeah, all. Yeah, so that, that's the one. It came out before Love is Blind, and it was about, like, each episode focused on one person, and then they went on five blind dates, and at the end they picked one person to go like on a second date with. So it was a much slower sort of, again, sort of wholesome dating show on Netflix. Oh, is that the one where it was like, it was filmed much more like high production value and it it basically looked like something out of Master of None. And uh, they had like, you know, something that was a little bit more uh, genuine or authentic looking kind of thing. Yeah. And it was like, it was really diverse. They had queer couples, like, queer single people go on dates with other queer people. They had an episode where the single person was older. I think they were, like, in their 60s, which was actually pretty refreshing to see. And there were a lot of people of color. But that one kind of flew under the radar. It got, it got a second season, which will be coming out this year. Um, but it didn't quite get the drama or the the Twitter the, notoriety. The water cooler like discussion. Successful. Yes. I also think that... Uh, with with the circle and love is blind netflix has taken a different approach to releasing the episodes um yes. both both of them have been labeled as three week events um with releasing the episodes in batches uh, which is inter- which is 
uh, different for Netflix because they're usually the like all at once type, or I, I guess with their talk shows, like one at a time. Uh, uh, but with Love with the Circle, they released four episodes at a time, and with Love Is Blind, they did five episodes, four, uh, and then four episodes, and then the finale in the third week. So they really sort of like broke the mold on their own sort of like all at once, even like even further with Love Is Blind, where they're just like we're just releasing the finale in its own week, mm-hmm. which which sort of really built up the hype around it, which I think. You know, we're, I think we're seeing it with Disney Plus releasing their episodes uh, weekly instead of all at once. And more stream, like Hulu and more streaming services are starting to break away from what Netflix was doing and actually start to prioritize weekly episodes or batches of weekly episodes to sort of build the hype. Because now, like Netflix, if you go to their unscripted section, you'll see like a ton of original programming that has been around for a couple of years now. But I haven't seen any of it a because i don't really watch uh, reality tv so like my categories are not recommended that way but just looking at it you're just like i you know you see a couple of the ones that are like high profile and then there's a bunch that they just don't really promote and i think with the circle and love is blind you're starting to see netflix sort of go back starting to take uh network and cables lunch money with reality tv and start like you know everyone's talking about love is blind yeah and they were talking about the circle earlier I yeah. think it's so I think because I know for me, I don't know about you guys, but like I still prefer the week to week television experience. Like I would prefer to watch all my shows week to week instead of binging them. Um, but I think it's also a smart business model because that extends the conversation. You know, if you release everything at once, like so many of Netflix's shows now, like they're talked about for maybe the weekend and then they kind of fade into obscurity and the next best thing is what people are talking about but with love is blind and the circle like willoughby was saying by releasing them in batches and not all at once it has extended the conversation because we don't know the ending and so we're going to be theorizing and talking about everything and i think it's a smarter way to kind of like build up the conversation and keep the momentum of the show going instead of having it just fizzle out after a weekend. Yeah, I think Netflix has realized that their old streaming model hasn't it doesn't work as much anymore because it doesn't create that same word of mouth buzz for as long because they release so much stuff so people will talk about something for a weekend after it gets dumped on the the site but then they stop talking about it after like a week later and it doesn't have as much um like the people's memories are starting to get shorter too. Like they're like, "Oh, that felt like that came out a year ago, but it came out like 2 weeks ago." Although I do want to note that but um Hulu uh, from the beginning was releasing week to week. Um they weren't doing binge uh releases. Although they shows. are now with some of their shows, right? Yeah, they're starting to move more towards that, but at the beginning they were very strict about doing week to week releases. Um but now like yeah, that's actually kind of going the opposite direction. <laughs> Well, I remember The Handmaid's Tale. They're like the first three episodes were available like right away, and then after that was yeah, the yeah. weekly but model. They, so like they sort of broke, hybridized it. Well, that was the similar Handmaid's to like Tale. yeah, but that was similar to how like with, with TV you would get like a two-hour premiere. Right. Um, so it's that was That's kind true. of akin to that. So I didn't and see I that think, as being that breaking their mold. I also feel like Handmaid's Tale is kind of the exception because I think Hulu smartly understands that Handmaid's Tale is not a show to binge. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they understand that, like, because of its content, like, it is respectful and smart to release week to week because there's only so much an audience can take of that show. Yes. And I, so I feel like whenever I talk about, like, streaming, Handmaid's Tale is always kind of an exception 
because of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, right, you can't really binge it. Right, yeah. But, like, so now we're getting into these these batches, this momentum. And, you know, we can talk about Queer Eye and Nailed It and things like those, but I feel like I feel like when people are not talking about Netflix is cornering the reality TV space, that's not what people are talking about. And that's not what they're referring to because Queer Eye is wonderful. It has faults, many flaws, um, but it, it largely is quite wholesome and wonderful. Um, but for better or worse, Netflix is getting into the more insidious yeah. nature of reality shows now. The soapy and- mess of it all. <laughs> And the highly, the highly of... edited and produced, mm-hmm. manipulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they sort. I was gonna say that they sort of dip their toe in unscripted television, just sort of in general, with like very like H HGTV TLC type. Well, not TLC. That's more insidious. But like HGTV, <laughs> like fixer upper type shows or house shows, and Marie Kondo and nailed it and. Uh, um, queer eye artists are like you know these sort of like you know you know, light and fluffy you don't have to watch too you don't have to like there's no plot to any of them they're all like singular episodic ep- like there's no serializa- serialization or like characters to follow except for the hosts themselves um, but there's really like you can sort of just have it back and have it on in the background most of the episodes I've watched of queer eye has actually been Melissa watching it my girlfriend and I've sort of just been in the living room at the time and sort of like I and and like the same goes for for like cheer which I'd say is like very much it's like a doc it's it's quote-unquote reality because it's unscripted but I'd say it's a docu-series yeah, more it's than reality really confusing that people are lumping it in with this conversation because cheer really for me is a docu-series much more than a reality right. show it's I mean, it's definitely not reality but it's definitely like quote unscripted like you know like yes. it's part of their like it's part of their like documentary like do- it's like a docuseries it's gonna win emmys probably and like it's but it's also taken the nation by storm it's uh, very good or at least the internet but but i'd say like there was a there was a podcast i was listening to and they were talking about recommending cheer and the guy one of the guy hosts was like oh i don't watch reality tv and they were like it's not reality tv it's just like an, a docuseries it's unscripted like you it, it's not like the bad bachelor or something like that and they were yeah. like oh yeah so like it was there's sort of like i think if you haven't watched it you'll probably you probably assume it's sort of along those lines but it's it's just a docuseries it's just yeah you know, and it's phenomenal um but yeah. it's very different but i think you know i think the thing about reality tv and why people get invested in it is that reality tv is not actually realistic um it is just as produced just as manipulated as a scripted series and the producers create characters they create villains they create the ones you want to root for and i think that's why people get sucked into it is because like with a narrative show you you know you fall in love with with quote-unquote characters and you want to see them do well in their reality space um or you root against others right exactly (laughs) exactly and so like it is just as much narrative as i think a scripted series which is why it's so fascinating but there's also something sort of grotesque about it It, oh love is there's there's there are episodes there are moments in love is blind where i felt like the cameras should have been like off because they were like recording conversations that were legitimately real and personal and definitely like not something that like I think that you know it like it, I felt like 
a monster watching the conversations they were having because I'm like, oh, should we be here for this? This is awkward as right. hell. Also, I'm gonna say the circle is better than Love is Blind. I enjoyed oh, the circle uh, definitely, so definitely. much more. Um, yeah. Love is Blind was a train wreck in slow motion that you couldn't look away from, but the circle I actually had moments where like I was genuinely enjoying it and the people on it. Mm-hmm. Love is Blind. It was hard for me to enjoy. Even the fan favorite of Lauren and Cameron, they were very cute, and I really liked them for the most part. But like, there were even times with them, I was like, I don't, I don't like feel it. There are some, there are levels of discomfort here that I'm not super into. Right. I mean, and we should say for people who may not have actually haven't watched Love Is Blind yet. Yes. Let, the, let's the, give the, a, the, a, a, um, a summary of it. Uh, the premise. Right. Movie. So Love is Blind takes uh, initially 15 men, 15 women, and places them in these quote-unquote pods next to each other. So you can go on dates with different people, but you'll never, you don't see what they look like. You can only hear them, and you sort of have like alcohol and like like a living space in, in each of these pods, so you can get comfortable and like have like these extended conversations that are edited edited down for the television show. And after a week, you have to uh, get married, uh, get, like <laughs> propose to someone. And then after the proposal, you go on this three week vacation to Cancun. You get to actually like have physical contact with your uh, person, and you know, sort of like get to know them a lot deeper. And then after three weeks. You plan a wedding, uh, and it's like this whole, like six week, uh, ex- like a whole uh, this whole six week uh, adventure for these people. The thing is that just because you've proposed doesn't mean you're actually going to get married at the end. It's not really like a real marriage where you're sort of uh, the like the the wedding vows are sort of a formality. Uh, this is actually like at the at the altar there deciding whether or not they get want to get married. The proposal is just sort of like that I've chosen this person to pursue a marriage with. Uh, it is buck wild. These people do not get to see each other, and the relationships like ebb and flow, and like the drama around it. Like you you know everyone's really like head over heels with everybody in the pods, and then when they actually you know get to meet people and like spend legitimate real time with them. Uh, cameras on or off, you really start to see like the the dark sides to these relationships, and people break up, uh, people get married. Uh, it, it you know they, they, it ends down go it get gets down to like five or six couples that they follow, um, and it's just you know like the it really turns the drama really starts to turn up once they get out of the pods and they're actually having. Con- conversations and, uh, and they're like actually Netflix like yeah didn't anticipate this show being what it was one of the contestants um gave an interview and they were like i found my person in the pods and like we got engaged or like we got together but the producers told us they were like we were expecting like two or three couples to get engaged not like eight and so they just cut two of the couples from the entire show and we're just yeah. like Thanks for being here. We're glad you found each other, but like you're not going to continue on with the like the show because they didn't have the time for it. And so it just shows that like Netflix did not, they were not thinking long term about this, and they didn't actually have like a plan in motion. And perhaps that's what made it so fun and messy. And like future seasons will never quite achieve the same hype and 
Right, because now people know about the concept. So the the funny thing is, this concept is actually kind of familiar to me because I can't remember the name of this reality show, but it was something that uh, that showed up in the early two thousands or mid two thousands, and it's something similar where a group of people like match are matched together and they get engaged without ever having seen each other before um but basically oh. like it starts off with i think uh this big curtain between like the men and the women and the women all have their hands like stuck through the curtain and it's just their hands and the men will choose like which hand they will like put their ring on and then they oh, get weird. matched up with the with that woman oh yes i, Do you remember, remember, I remember that yeah yes. i can't remember what it was called but i remember they would like after they get engaged they would basically like live together for a certain amount of time, and I only, the only thing I remember, remember about the show is that there was one like very LA Valley girl uh, that was uh, matched with this guy who was from like Britain or something, and they were eating together at one point, and she was like, "You eat like a European," and then he just like stopped and like did not know what to say back to her, <laughs> and that was the funniest thing I'd seen in a long time. So I was just like, "That's the only thing I remember from the show." I don't remember what it's called, but um, it's not Either, an entirely yeah. new premise. No. Yeah. No, it's definitely like, I mean, I think the, it's very, and it, like the way Netflix has been doing these, like at least most, the the circle and love is blind is very much like technology based or like social media based. They're mm-hmm. like, we're going to strip away the, the superficiality of it, you know, at least with love is blind. And they're going to like, you're just going to have conversations with these people. Whereas the circle sort of takes the opposite approach where it's like, you can only talk to these people through a social media platform. Yeah. Um, it's so and funny form, to me. form relationships through that. Yeah. It's so funny to me that these two, the two Netflix reality shows, like as of now that have really taken off are sound like messed up social experiments, like based off their premise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And one of them is, which is love is blind. And the other one, actually becomes like this whole whole wholesome wholesome other thing which is the circle um fun fact the circle is also based off a um a reality series what was it? is it australian yeah, br- uh, british I, th- I think it's it's british because mm-hmm. i was reading a vulture article about netflix on netflix's unscripted show and basically like the moment that the, that the circle in britain launched netflix chief of unscripted was like on a plane to Britain to see can we buy this mm. can we license it for America and and he did and that was like in 26 2018 and then they 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 filmed it and they made it love is blind was actually filmed like 2 years ago and they finally just released it like mm. the like netflix has sort of been banking up a reality uh uh like a uh, a slew of reality tv shows probably after queer eye and nailed it took off um and you know I, I think that it's really funny to see their evolution or of of wholesome unscripted into insidious reality. Uh, and, and you just sort of see net, how Netflix uh, every, every time every time something is successful on television or movies, uh, Netflix is like, oh, we, we want a piece of that cake. Yeah, right. And they're going to take a piece of that cake. It's really interesting because the timing of Netflix's messiest dating reality shows like happening right now comes at a very um, lucrative time for them, I guess you would say, because messy TV, messy reality TV is making a comeback on uh, uh, network television, too. You see the return of um, Big Fat Big Fat Loser. No, not Fat. The Biggest Loser. The Biggest Loser. loser. Um, And uh, what was the other ones that made a comeback? There was like a bunch of other... uh, 
like shows that oh, American Idol made a comeback. All these other mm-hmm. shows from the mid two thousands that were kind of indicative of like that messiest stuff is uh, are coming back. Survivors back in the in the news again, as is The Bachelor always. Um, so it's just like really, it's interesting that like Netflix uh, timed it very well to sort of the resurgence of uh, messy reality shows. Right. It's sort of it. I mean, like, and you know, there's also the just the ever ongoing saga of the Real Housewives. Um, and so you you got like I think people want to turn their you know like in in this in today's society yeah. um, I think that people do do want like sort of trash TV to just sort of binge and have on in the background instead of like focusing on like you know the worst of the worst uh, in the news and so you could sort of be like well at least I'm not as bad as these people on this reality TV show you sort of take stock of your of your situation um and and i think that like i think love is blind is a prime example where it's like you're watching a relationship uh like basically like it like on fast forward and you see like all the things that are that can go wrong you can sort of see the conversations that they start to have that can turn into arguments and then some of them do turn into arguments and then sometimes they just like they just straight up break it off right then and there. There was one couple that had an argument uh, the, the the first night in Cancun that they went from like like it w- well it it was kind of awkward after like in their their first night, but then like they got to like a poolside argument and it just like blew up and then they broke it off like and that was it that were, they were done. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you you start to see how Netflix is pursuing reality tv shows that we, that we've that we're all familiar with but they're doing it in different ways because these are because these are filmed for netflix you don't have commercial breaks you don't have the editing up to a break or something so like you get like heated moments and you you're expecting a commercial break because that's how our brains are tuned to reality tv shows where like someone will say something like awful and bo- like a bombshell and then you're expecting coming up on the bachelor we don't get that here we just get the awkward moment after that conversation like you get you get to see the reaction shot to the to the to the the big like bombshell and i think it's fascinating because like i've watched these i I watched most of these with my girlfriend and we're just like on the couch and we're like with bated breath like what's gonna happen and my i just keep thinking oh they're gonna cut to a commercial here and they never do because it's netflix and you're just like (gasps) Oh my God, they actually said it. They actually did this. Well, what's happening? Like, you're sort of like, it is sort of like a, a train wreck in free fall where you're just like, you, you just can't stop watching. Yeah, I think um, there is that element, which like, unfortunately you get sucked in even if you don't plan on it. Like, I remember yeah. starting Love is Blind and being like, eh, whatever. We actually fast forwarded through a lot of the pod episodes because I found them largely boring. Um, yeah, and all the I actually went happened. to the gym and for a I went to the gym for, like, one of them. <laughs> yeah, and, like, all the drama happens once they're out of them. But, like, you know, I, I wasn't feeling the show. And then, like, I couldn't stop watching, even though I wasn't, like, really feeling it. But, like, I think it's interesting to see them pivot to Love is Blind after The Circle. Because The Circle kind of surprised everyone. It was a ridiculous concept. And we were all like, okay, whatever. And then, like, it actually turned out to be kind of wholesome and have some really interesting discussion points. And I think Love is Blind went in the complete opposite direction. And part of the reason I didn't like it as much is because it was so much more 
grotesque as a show, as a concept. And there were interesting things they touched upon, but never quite explored. So to give you some examples, in The Circle, we got to have really interesting conversations between someone like Chris and... What's her name? Karen? No. Um, uh, the... The, les- the lesbian? The yeah. black lesbian? I forget her name. I'm totally uh, forgetting her name as well. But I do, but I like, think I know what you're talking about, the conversation they had. Right, when she when she was revealed, uh, pause for a moment and say we're going to have spoilers for Love is Blind in the circle, um, if you haven't watched them yet. Um, but when it was revealed that she, you know, she was catfishing and she met Chris and they had a conversation together as two queer people, two queer people of color, and, you know, why she felt the need to catfish. And it was really like thoughtful and really poignant. And then we had the, we had Sean come in who is a plus size woman and she catfished as a skinny woman and like why she felt the need to do that and then reveal her truth. And then you had evil villain Shubham. <laughs> um, incel in disguise. Incel in disguise, truly. I, I still cannot fathom why people still like him because he is a manipulative, gross incel and it's awful. Um, but you had that discussion about like why she felt the need to do that. And then on Love is Blind, the character that the, the relationship that Willoughby was referencing by the poolside was a black couple. And the reason they broke up is because the man, Carlton, revealed to Diamond, the woman that he proposed to, that he is bisexual. And she did not take it well. Mm, and you had a very interesting moment where there were some good moments with him discussing it but they turned it into the the drama of the fight rather than rather than kind of focusing on the idea of a black man in america being bisexual and what that means and why he was afraid to tell her Mm. and all these things and you had really interesting moments of discussing like toxic masculinity ht for you to know, um, since you haven't watched Love is Blind, there is one couple, Jessica and Mark, who are infuriating. Because Mark, <laughs> oh, is, Mark, yeah. is, Mark is perfect, and Jessica is terrible and needs to go to therapy. But Jessica oh, is 30. Is, is that the uh, scene I've seen going viral where she's like, oh, do you do you know how every time you say that was the best sex I've ever had? And I no, never no, 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 that's oh. Giannina and Damien. Okay. That's uh, and Damien. Mark and Jessica. Yeah. Mark and Jessica is the couple where there are 10-year de- age difference. Mark is 24 and Jessica is 34. And uh, and Mark is ready to, like, settle down, meet someone. And Jessica has – it seems as though she has a lot of unresolved issues with past relationships. So many. Um, and that she's sort of, like, a lot, projecting a lot of her issues onto Mark because she and, – and feels like she is – taking away his 20s which is a ridiculous concept because you can you if you're married at 24 you still have the rest of your life you still have fun you when you're in your life yeah your life doesn't end when you, you get still, married um, you can still have fun when you're married this is a this it's a it's a that's a, it's a toxic concept to uh to per, to like further and definitely needs to be like broken down and say like you can have you could be it's like the uh it's it's why a lot of TV shows don't do that the after the will they won't they because the it's more exciting if they if they if they're not together and less exciting right. after but no it could still be just as exciting after they're married and so it's 
So Jessica has a lot of unresolved issues there. And so and... for you, H.T., just to know, Jessica is A, the woman who let her dog drink out of her wine glass. Oh, yeah. Mike just she's texted that me one. that. She's that one. And then she also, there's a line she has about Mark where she says, Mark is very emotionally available, and that is a big red flag to me. <laughs> so We're much. But again, this show doesn't really like let those conversations happen and kind of like contemplate the importance of them um, and the importance of, and again, Mark is a man of color um, Mm. and you know, she gets really upset at him because he really admires his mom. And she's like, I don't want you to marry your mom. Like I want you to marry me. And that's not what he's saying. And so we have a, a man of color who is emotionally available, who is vulnerable and we have this woman who keeps putting him down for it. And it's played just for, like, the drama of, you know, ha, 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 Jessica's so crazy. And she has so many unresolved issues. And that is all true. But, like, there was a chance, I think, for the show to kind of, like, prove that it was more than this, like, insidious bachelor type thing. Um, and actually have these conversations like they, you know, did on the circle, more or less. And they didn't do it. And... It, it makes her very infuriating, if also slightly addictive television. <laughs> so, because you, you get you get you 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 know you, you see that you know this is a very heavily edited show, mm-hmm. but you also think that oh they probably had a ton of conversations that haven't that are not on the cut that are on the cutting room floor, but the end result is still a lot of unresolved issues with with certain people that that uh, like just go all the way to the altar. Um, like Giannina and or Giannina and Damien are the couple that you were referencing HT where mm-hmm. she basically was like she basically said like you, you know how I never return the compliment that this is the best sex of my life that is a like the iconic moment of the show I think that's it's sort of like the, the one thing you need to show someone and be like you're gonna watch all 10 episodes of this um, but also sort of an awkward conversation like she's playing it up for the cameras and he's very much like a no bullshit type of guy but also completely a bullshit type of guy where he's like where he his like forward-facing opinion is like you know let's be honest with each other and then like immediately uh doubles down on arguments about like you're on your phone too much like you're not paying attention to me um and it's just like you could tell the toxicity of the relationship is like is blistering to the to the point where it needs to be cauterized um (laughs) and and you know but then there are some couples that you're you're, you that you do root for that you want them to make it down to, to all the way to the end of the altar uh and some do and then some don't and then and there was one couple where we thought Oh, they haven't really showed them too much. I guess they're okay. And then, like, they had an explosive wedding at the end, and you're just it like, "What?" It was Whoa. insane. It was insane. I think, I think, I think, I know. I think you and I are are referencing the same couple, Kelly and Kenny. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. They were like cool the entire time. Like, there was really never a problem. And then, sort of, they did like a recap, and you're like, "Oh shit!" They've had like trouble the entire time, and like a mo- like like physical contact type of trouble where like they weren't physically available for each other or something like they didn't want to, like she they, they, they weren't having sex and it that argument boiled over into their wedding and yeah it was sort of awkward and like this you know they're putting they don't give them a chance to date that's the issue is that you're like you're just like here you're committing you're committing to this person uh and here you have three weeks to do it 
and obviously that's the social experiment of it all. And you're like, every priest, every pastor on the show is like, today we decide if if love is blind uh, or not, which is like the basically like, do you take also, this man? Also, the hosts are Nick and Vanessa Lachey. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, and they're like, they show up like once every five episodes. So yeah, um, I wonder if the hosts are even necessary in the Netflix reality shows, at least in these dating ones, because I don't think so. in the circle, whoever the host was was just like would show up for. Uh, to say something. Oh, yeah. However, her commentary is hilarious. Her commentary, I, it was fine, but I don't think it was necessary. Like sometimes she would, uh, she would also talk about Shaboom and uh, and like I was like I don't need her, you, you to tell me how to feel about him, and I was like, uh, <laughs> oh Shabom, sorry Shabom, and I was just like, uh, ah yeah. yeah, you know I don't need to, I don't need this commentary. I think it's fine on it on its own, but <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah I I agree with you, and I think you know. I've always kind of struggled with this idea of like morality and reality TV and <laughs> like, which is a crazy. I think you watched the most rea- uh, reality TV of all of us too, Anya. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, which is terrible of me. Um, but like, you know, sometimes there's this idea of like, what are we enabling or what are we sort of giving a pass by by making these shows so successful and maybe i'm thinking way too hard about it no i think you have a point i think it's like it's a conversation that comes up every time there's a new reality tv sort of uh hit to they're like oh how responsible are we to show this kind of behavior and to show this kind of uh uh these topics on um like national television on television that's widely accessed to people and who you know don't have the same level of critical analysis as as i I mean i'm not gonna toot our horns too much but as us you know so it's just like it's a it's a weird thin line to walk because reality tv at its core is about voyeurism even its most wholesome shows like i talk about terrace house all the time but it is innately very very voyeuristic so it's um it taps into those less than um you know good uh aspects of our own personality yeah and uh but at the same time you can have something good come of this kind of voyeuristic tendency like with the circle where you see people finally show their authentic selves at least we like to think they do <laughs> Yes, we like to yeah. think it, but it's like, that's always the question you have, right? Is like, how much is edited? Mm-hmm. How much is produced and manipulated to make us feel one way versus what the reality actually is? Mm-hmm. Right, like you see, like Joey from The Circle seems like a really authentic, honest guy. And from interviews post the show, it seems like that he is. But then, you know, not everyone is like Joey from The Circle. Like You get like a shoe bomb where there's sort of like an like a dark side there where you're just like not sure what's going on um and so i think with netflix they are tapping into something that has been you know uh, a thing with american audiences for a while which is reality tv and they're really starting to take a crack at the darker stuff uh and i think it's successful because like the love is blind finale was like they have like their top 10 now on Netflix, which is sort of interesting that it, that that now shows up when they're hitting big with reality TV. Um, 
and like the Love is Blind finale was like number one and number two of their like daily top ten. Like everyone was watching it. Um and it's just uh it's interesting to see Netflix pivot to unscripted TV show uh TV shows. Um I'm not opposed to it because I've watched two of them now and, and like seen a lot of them in the like in background and like but it's just sort of interesting that they're like strategically like now we're taking the lunch money from from reality tv and there's nothing you can do to stop us because we're netflix and we own everything yep yeah disney's not our only hollywood corporate overlord right i think netflix is also up there in terms of the evil conglomerates oh yeah i mean even disney even disney plus is doing a lot of unscripted shows Mm -hmm. obviously encore is not you know insidious (laughs) I was like, yes, Encore, the insidious, manipulated reality show hosted by Kristen Bell. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, they're with these streaming platforms, they sort of have to, they sort of have this uh, fiction and non-fiction uh, section that that each of them are starting to do. I think even Hulu is doing reality. I know, that, I mean, they're big on documentaries, um, but I don't know how many of, the, of how many unscripted shows they have. Uh but yeah, Netflix is definitely coming for that lunch money. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And despite how much I can talk about how there's an insidious nature to it, and sometimes I question the morality of it, we're still watching. Yep. We're still watching. For better or worse, we can't look away. It's literally rubbernecking on a highway. It's, <laughs> we can't. We can't look away. Even if it's bad for us, even if it's if it's not a like productive use of our time, but then at the same time, it's like, why does it have to be productive if it's entertaining us? Mm-hmm. And it Ooh. is it's edging out on the couch to escape your own problems by watching other people's problems. Yep. Is there is there a benefit to that, or is there a moral justification in that? It's reality TV is a scary thing, but so fun sometimes despite the title reality tv is the best escape from reality in some ways in, yes when the world's problems are as bad as this it's it's kind of funny you know i was thinking this just occurred to me but the wholesome aspirational reality tv that we have of queer eye of Recondo, of great british bake-off feels very much of the obama era and oh. i i think that that um, return to the messiness of reality TV that we're kind of making now uh, is a little indicative of the current political era we are in because it's so bad <laughs> that we just want to energy. escape to something. Big yeah, Bush era energy. Big Bush era energy going on right here. So um, I wonder if that like brief little flicker of time when we had all these wholesome uh, reality shows is uh, is over now that we're we're in the worst of it in in terms well, of uh, our current like, climate making it is the the um the nick nick offerman amy poehler show mm-hmm. that what that's pretty wholesome and that is definitely something that only came up in the last year so it's still i guess it, you know it could be a remnant could be something that had that's been in development for a while but uh i think that hopefully that there's still stuff i will say uh, Netflix has Blown Away, which is that glass-blowing uh, competition show, and that is uh, amazing to watch. It's one of the most fun th- un- uh, reality shows that I've watched on Netflix. Mm. So 
just a small recommendation for like it's you know it's not insidious at all it's like you know just like these 10 10 people who are trying to like make the best thing make the best glass blowing and there's hardly any conflict between people there you know personalities clash but um there's no like sabotage or anything mm-hmm. um, but it's really it, it, the the conflict comes from like you're blowing glass and glass breaks and like that's sort of it um so i recommend that if you're like looking for something to watch on netflix that isn't like love is blind because it could be that it could be uh toxic <laughs> Yes. Yeah. My, <laughs> there are wholesome options out there. Yeah. My favorite reality show still is uh, just watching reruns of Chopped on Hulu. Um, Chopped is, you know, it's very much uh, the current reality um, climate. It's like, it's very, it's a, comp- it's a competition show, but at, the, at, at its core, I feel like it's about the food and it's about just um, making the best dishes. And uh, people are all kind of on the same playing field and even though they do have some uh, high drama and there's always that sob story that you get with every episode and I'm easily manipulated by every one of that and the editing is very manipulative too I just think that at its core it is a very wholesome show because it is just like everyone's on the same level they don't know what they're getting in the basket and the judges at the end of the day they also have great personalities will will always pick the food uh, over like the sob story and that's what I really enjoy, like about yeah. Ch- Chopped it has like its principle still despite being very much a product of reality TV and competition TV I really love like competition cooking shows except I like to take mine and like turn the wholesome level up to like a hundred mm-hmm. which is why like my favorites are like Great British Bake Off or MasterChef Junior which my roommate and I lovingly call Baby Chef <laughs> Baby <laughs> Chef that we're always like when does the new season of baby chef start Mm -hmm. um because it's just like these kids are so talented but they're also so pure and the judges like gordon is so good with them and he loves kids he loves them so much it's so cute and so i'm just like give me my give me my wholesome no 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 he hates idiotic adults because in the regular season of master chef like the adults that like listen and learn and try their best, he's also very supportive of. And on MasterChef, he has like funded some of the adult contestants, like like going to culinary school or like giving them like opportunities to work in his restaurant. Like people perceive this, but Gordon Ramsay only hates people who like are idiots and don't listen, mm-hmm. which is a fair assessment. Right. I mean, it's it's what got him famous, I'd say, is him exactly. yelling at people. Now that yeah. you know he's actually a really good guy, and I really love Gordon Ramsay, you guys. <laughs> so good. He's so good with his kids. Oh, I love Gordon Ramsay. I like him when he's not taking Asian dishes and then rebranding him them as his own. I mean, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> but other than that, I love him too. I love how good he is with kids, and I love how he, he yells because he cares. He yells because right. he cares. And also, he's got like cool like 30 second youtube videos where he teaches you like how to cut vegetables and like, I, I didn't those. know how to cut an onion before i didn't know how to cut an onion and then gordon ramsay taught gordon ramsay ramsay taught me how to cut an onion and, it, and like did it without like crying i watched that video too and it, yeah and it, it was it life it was life-changing for me i'm like wow yeah. i can dice an onion so I quick now really need to watch this because i actually buy i like i go to the store and i buy like the box of like pre-chopped onions because i hate cutting onions i it, hate it so oh, bad. His, his method makes it really I'll show, easy we'll show you 
Yeah, well, I'll send the link in in our chat. Yeah, um, please do. This is gonna be life changing. Yeah, I mean, it's like also yeah. a common uh, technique for like all chefs. Like I see other videos on YouTube and they're like, here's how to chop onions. The same, the same technique. And I'm like, how did I not well, know this before? This is this this itself is a, a whole nother like episode topic. But the Bon Appetit test test kitchen videos yes. are. Oh like, my god! I most... mean, honestly, now I'm like, we need to do a follow up to this. Like, we have our Netflix reality show episode, and then we're going to have an episode just about, like, food reality shows. Guys, because I, feel I watch like I so many food shows. So many. And, like, Bon Appetit, and, like, MasterChef, and Great British Bake Off, and Chopped. Oh, and- Epicurious on uh, on YouTube is great, too. Like, I love their little series that they do with, like, the pro chef uh, versus amateur chef. And yes. uh, it's so fun. And the way that they do, like, <laughs> I also love to watch the ones where, like, 50 people try to make an omelet, and then, like, half of them don't know how to make an omelet, and it's hilarious. Yeah, it's so we should do an episode about food shows because mm-hmm. I right. think we are all very passionate I, about them. Yeah, I don't know how much I can't remember how much we've actually talked about the Bon Appetit uh, Cinematic Universe. Not much at all. We need yeah. to. We, have um, to we need to. Good. We need to talk about Claire and Brad and Chris and uh, Carla. Like we need to talk about them all. Um, we're getting off topic, so I think so that means the it's moral an, it's of that time. <laughs> the moral of this episode is that Netflix has reality shows, but they still pale in comparison to good food reality shows. Yes. And that is really where you should be spending all your time. <laughs> yes. And that, sometimes that you learn how to make a thesis. recipe while you're at it. Exactly. That is the thesis statement of this episode. <laughs> all right. I think that is uh, the end of our discussion about Netflix reality TV. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, let's start with our really likes this week. Uh, Anya, why don't you start us off? Since you've been gone a while, start us off with our really likes. Um, So I'm going to keep, actually, the reality TV thing going. Um, And HT mentioned this, but guys, I'm so invested in this season of Survivor. I'm I'm so invested. So, little backstory, I'm a huge Survivor fan. I've been watching since the first season. I used to have, like, watch parties with my friends in high school, and I had my own Survivor buff. And I'd, like, wear it to, like, our watch parties. And we were, like, very into it. Um, And I dropped off for a little while. But, like, I'm getting back into it the past couple seasons. And this season is the 40th season of Survivor, believe it or not. Wow. And it is called Winners at War. And so the entire season is being played by people who have won a previous season. And so it's all people who have won the game before. And now they are competing against each other, against people who know the game. Um, Oh, it's, like, all-stars. Basically, basically, yeah. Except it's not just All-Stars because, like, Survivor All-Stars had people who hadn't won the game but were, like, fan favorites or, like, popular and stuff. Like, this season, every player has won a past season of Survivor. So, like, every player has a million dollars in the bank from the season of Survivor that they won. And so, like, they know how to get to the very end and win the game. But now they are playing against, like, 30-some-odd other winners. Um... And so it's, like, very intense and very dramatic. And you have, like, you know, famous ones like Sandra, who is the only person to have ever won two seasons before this. You have Boston Rob, you know, Parvati and Ethan. And it's so great. And I love seeing all of them back together and, like, playing the game against one another. And I really love this show because I think it's – I love what it's become because it really is, like, this fun strategic game. Um, And – I, I, I get so engrossed in it 
and think it's just so fun. And I just need to say, my boy is Tyson. He is uh, on this season. He won a past season. He is the best player ever. I love him so much, and I hope he wins the season because he is the best. I'm always rooting for Tyson. Um, he's a little shit, and I love him. <laughs> and I'm just excited that this season of Survivor is here because I'm super into Survivor, guys. Fun little fun fact about me. <laughs> I used to watch Survivor, I remember, like, back in the day, but I don't think I ever got as into it as you are. I watched, like, the first couple seasons, and I was like, this is fascinating, but then never really kept up with it because uh, by then my passion for Island Dwellers had shifted over to Lost. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. I was also going to make a Lost reference. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Willoughby, what is your really like this week? Um. So... Over the past couple of years, I've been saying that I've been going through an anime phase because my girlfriend really loves anime, and so she's been showing me her favorites. And this week, we finished Gurren Lagann, uh, which is a anime from about 13 years ago about humanity rising up against uh, a like these like beast men, and it's a mecha anime, so there's like a lot of fun like you know uh, uh, like Gundam type uh, machines like hitting each other um but the the concept of the show is basically like humanity lives underground and they're trying to force they're trying to take back the planet or like at least you know take it and like become in charge because these the the, uh the beastmen are like in control and they're like not great um but the thing about the anime is that it just goes buck wild after like the for after like the 10th episode there's like 27 episodes and it literally like every episode escalates to like like I don't even know how to describe it without spoiling anything, but they basically start underground and they go a lot farther up than that into space, I'd say. Um, and just the whole nature of it all, it's very much it like, so I don't want to say like subverts or lampshades like Neon Genesis Evangelion, but it, because it's definitely inspired by it, but it also like never gets as dark or serious as that show. It's still very light and, um, and funny uh but st but still also like the stakes are real and and like it similarly goes like kind of metatextual in a way um and it's just very 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 good and we st stayed up like way way past our bedtimes last night finishing it uh it's one of the most buckwild animes i've ever watched i definitely recommend it it is on netflix it's called gurren lagan I've watched Gurren Lagann, and then you are correct. Hey! It is buck wild. I have yeah. never watched it. I can't say I'm a huge fan of mecha anime, so that's probably why I've avoided it. But um, uh, at some point, maybe. I'm still not a huge fan if of mecha. But... Have, if, if, you, if you have enough time to watch all 27 episodes over like a weekend, I recommend it. Mm. It is. It's a, good, it's a good series. And I'm also not a huge like mecha person. Okay. Uh, I am, so it all is great <laughs> maybe when i'm not re-watching avatar the last airbender which i think i talked about last week so that's not my really like <laughs> i finished re-watching it by the way so now i feel empty and sad and without anything to look forward to until fruits basket comes well, back you know, in four April. seasons of Korra you can watch yeah but i i don't i didn't get it in my D, in my uh block box set oh okay. the problem yeah. right there but I what i did <laughs> What I did watch uh, this 
last night actually because uh, my birthday came and went this past week and it was in the middle of the week so I got a bunch of my friends together to force them to watch the Before Trilogy, one of my favorite <gasps> trilogies ever. Uh, directed I, was, by Rick, I invited. I've never seen it. Oh, I know. Is, I'm sorry. Wait, HT. HT. Is that what prompt? Is that what prompted your gift yes. that you posted <laughs> or, uh, from before sunset? Sunset. Yeah, my favorite. Uh, the one of the best ending scenes in cinematic history. Honestly, one of my favorite endings ever. <laughs> but yes, it did prompt that, and um, it's a series that still just fills me with so much emotion and joy and love every time I watch it and I will rewatch it over and over again and love it just as much um it is interesting how every time I watch it I'm a little bit older and uh it always has it always hits a little differently every time I I do watch it because it's just kind of it is very much like movies made by people of that age and you can feel all of their intent and their um experiences coming through so as I get closer to 30 uh before sun rise becomes even more like a this little fantasy um and this kind of really clumsy almost love letter from these three people in their 20s who are just trying to understand the world and think they do but then they don't really don't and i i love before sunset even more and more but i appreciate before sunrise every more every time i watch it too but yeah it's so great we actually didn't get to before midnight because a bunch of our people had to leave and um I didn't want to, uh, and a bunch of other people came, and I didn't want that to be their introduction to the Before Trilogy, but every movie is perfect, and I love it. And uh, I can't wait for you to watch it sometime. Oh, I know. I am I really need to watch it. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling it'll it'll hit me in yeah. a lot of a lot of emotions. Yeah. HT, I have a question. Yes. Do you want them to do a fourth movie in 2022? I don't know. Because <laughs> they film them every nine years. I know. I, I would totally... I've already done the Criterion box set of the trilogy. I know, I already... Have, if I had to get another box set, then I totally will buy it. I actually wouldn't be opposed to them doing a fourth one. You know what occurred to me? So I was watching clips from Before Midnight because I was sad we didn't get to it. And, you know, it, it follows... Uh, we get a little glimpse of um, Ethan Hawke's son. And I was like, what if they oh. follow the love life of his son... And they get played. He gets played by Timothy Chalamet wow. and Saoirse Ronan, and there we go. Oh no! <laughs> That's I like how oh, this is just this is just you leading back to the that Timmy and Saoirse need to kiss. Yes, <laughs> always, always that. So that's just my that's my pitch for, for before Breaking Dawn. Before Breaking Dawn, get it. I'm, I'm not different I'm than before sunrise. Well, it's because it's a joke because it's like you know the Twilight series. Breaking Dawn was the right. last one. I'm aware. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Willby's like yes. I know. Anyways, I wouldn't be right. opposed to it, but yes, before, I, before lunchtime. <laughs> before lunchtime. HG's constant love for this trilogy inspires me. So that is our episode for the week. I'm so happy to be back, guys, and I hope that um, I hope that I'll be able to like you know get back into a schedule with this because uh, I love talking with you guys and I missed it. I love so, talking with you too, Anya. And all our listeners can come talk with us as well about Netflix's reality series or the food reality shows you like because we all know that's where it's at. 
or anything you're really liking this week, including Survivor, Gurren Login, or movies that you love to revisit, like the Before Trilogy. And where can they come chat with us, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud. And where can they find the both of you on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.